This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Hello, hello everyone. Hello to everyone at home. We're at a very special crime night this evening. We're at the Better Reading office. We've actually got an audience who you can't see, a wonderful audience. We're going to take questions from those audience a bit later on. So welcome, welcome to those from home and welcome to the three fabulous crime writers that we have right here in the office. Welcome, Karen. Welcome, David. Welcome, Dave. So I've got a Dave, I've got a David and, of course, We all know Karen um, Herbert. I have been lucky enough to have also, not just tonight, to be with these three wonderful crime writers, but also I've actually had a podcast conversation with every one of them, actually, haven't I? Yeah, over the few years. Um, So I'm going to start um, with intros. We'll start with you, Dave Warner, who has written a book called Summer of Blood. Dave is an author. Now, I've trained them really well. You know how I like people, <laughs> how I like authors to have their books? Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> Dave is an author, as we know, a musician and a screenwriter. He has written nine novels, including River of Salt and Over My Dead Body. Over My Dead Body. I mean, typical, right? <laughs> and six nonfiction books. His first novel, City of Light, won the Western Australian Premier's Book Award for Fiction. And Before It Breaks, which was published in 2015, won the Ned Kelly Award for Best Australian Crime Fiction. Also a musician, in 2017 he released his 10th album, When. He has been named a Western Australian state living treasure. Oh, my goodness. And has been inducted into the whammy rock and roll of renown. Is that how it's pronounced? Yep. Yep. That's exactly right, Sean. Yeah. (laughs) Um, He's here today to talk about his latest novel, as we said, Summer of Blood, which merges both gripping crime fiction and rock and roll. I mean, do you know, I think that there's such a correlation between writers and musicians because it's storytelling, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, We'll get into that a little bit more. Dave Wish Wilson. Um, again, I've met Dave a couple of times before, yeah, actually, yeah. once when I was in Western Australia and then podcasting. He's written a book called I Am Already Dead. David is the author of eight novels and three creative nonfiction books. His first novel in the Frank Swan crime series, Line of Sight, was shortlisted for a Ned Kelly Award in 2012. So Ned Kelly's come up a little bit and we're going to talk about that later too and explain to everybody at home and everybody in the studio today uh, what that is. He's written um, numerous novels since. He has lived all around the world. Now this has got to be one of the best biographies I've read for a very long time. And if I knew it when I was podcasting with you, I can't remember. He has worked as a barman, an actor, a street seller, a petty criminal. I mean, is that a job? 
Yeah. It's a job. It's a full-time job. Yeah. Okay, it's a full-time job. I guess it depends how much you steal. <laughs> yeah. A labourer, an exterminator, a factory worker, gardener, clerk, travel agent, teacher, and drug trial guinea pig. I guess what I'm seeing here is that they kind of go up in terms of merit. Yeah. Would that be right? Peaking with drug trial, uh, yeah. drug trial guinea pig, yeah. Guinea pig. Okay, all right. There's obviously a lot of inspiration for his novels there, but David also teaches in the prison system in Perth and teaches creative writing at Curtin University. His latest novel, as we said, I Am Already Dead, which he's holding, a gripping and high-paced noir novel that will keep fans of True West on the edge of their seat. I mean, it's just such a privilege to have these writers today and it, I'm often reminded through reading biographies how lucky we are that these people are writing. Now, Karen and I, we recorded a podcast during COVID, didn't we? We did. Karen's background is in aged care and public service sector. So Karen did a major shift in terms of career a little bit different to David's, though. She's a graduate <laughs> member of the Australia Institute of Company Directors, a board member of the In is it Into Life Group and Advocare, and president of the Fellowship of Australian Writers. Her debut was The Rivermouth, which is what we discussed, I think. Is that was. right? That's right. And so you've written two books since. Yes. Yeah, wow. Okay, there you go. I often wonder, I mean, do you people sleep? A lot. A lot? A lot. Okay. I sleep a lot. All right. I like well, that's sleeping. way more than I've achieved since we last spoke. <laughs> As I said, her debut novel was The Rivermouth, which received support from one of Better Reading's copyright agency grants, which that's is right. from Cal. We love Cal and they do give us grants, which is fantastic. Her follow up was The Castaways of Harwood Hall. And this is her latest novel, Vertigo a must-read for mystery fans. Wow, there you go. Okay, firstly, now Karen hasn't won a, a Ned Kelly, but I do want to talk about Ned Kelly. Who would like, would you, David, like to start with that? Because you're... Yeah, I'm the current Kelly. treasurer, the current treasurer of the um, Australian Crime Writing Association, right. which is a, a volunteer-run organisation. It's been going since the Ned Kelly Awards uh, started. Um, there's about six or seven of us. At any given time, always people coming and going. But we run the Ned Kelly Awards every year, which is um, Australia's main awards for, for crime writers. There's in three, four, now four categories because there's best international crime. There are a couple of writers on the panel, um, myself and Alan Carter and uh, Karina oh, Kilmore as well. Karina's yeah. the chair. Right. Um, we have nothing to do with the judging, et cetera, of the awards because they're Right. Obviously, that would be judging our peers. Yeah. So we just do all the um, the banking. I mean, that's I'm in charge of the money. Oh wow! Well. Okay, so they, they yeah. I volunteered for Oopsie, that one. Oopsie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll see how that plays yeah. out. Okay. Um, hey, now I've heard that I want my fifty bucks back. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Is that what membership is? 50 bucks? It's a lifetime membership. Oh, it's a yeah. lifetime membership yeah. of 50 bucks. Okay. All right. Now, David, what I want to talk about here is the influx of when I started, I've been in this business for so long, like I think it's over 30 years. I think it's even longer than that, but 30 sounds fine. I can deal with that. But when I started out, and I started out as a bookseller on the shop floor, and I did that for about 20 years of my career, there was so little Australian crime. And mm. when I was selling crime in those days, it was the likes of Michael Connolly. It was really coming out of either the UK, Karen Slaughter, or the US. And really, there wasn't 
very much Australian crime at that time. And if there was, it wasn't selling to a level that I noticed it. Would that be right? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Since um, you, you can pretty much trace it back to Jane Harper's The Dry and yeah. uh, Candace Fox and that kind of generation of writers. Yeah. But when I wrote my first crime novel, which is called Line of Sight, which came out in 2010, um, set in Western Australia in, in Perth, obviously, there was only one other crime writer that I could find who's sitting next to me. Oh, uh, Dave Warner. West, wow. Austra West Australian crime writer. So I yeah. started looking around for um, West Australian crime writers and Dave was the only one. There was the great uh, Jewish Australian um, writer Judah Whiten had written a crime novel back in the 1950s. That was about it. And now and that, now we've got Dervil McTiernan. Um, you know. Who's Dervil McTiernan, of course. Yeah. But who was the, um, and, and I know he's passed away and I've forgotten his name, crime writer in Victoria and his books have been made into film. Oh, Peter Temple? Peter Temple. Yeah, so. I mean, Peter Temple's been around for a while and what if, well, he, he was writing from very early on, wasn't he? Yeah, Whereas Gary Jane, Disher, yeah. Sorry? And Gary Disher as well. And He's Gary Disher, of course, time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then we've got, since Jane Harper, you're right, we've got this new wave. And also we've got a new wave of female mm. crime writers as well. Yeah, that's really characterised. And also too, and, and you will know this, since Jane Harper, it's not just crime that has changed, it's debut fiction has changed. Mm. And, you know, in my career to see debut fiction books become bestsellers is just so extraordinary. I used to be the kind of person where if somebody asked me, you know, should I write a book, should I get published, and I'd say, well, the likelihood of getting it published is like winning the lottery. You know, I, did, I said that for many, many years because it was that back then. And now it's just completely different. The market has changed totally and Australians are reading Australian books. So that's fantastic. I want to talk to you, Dave Warner. I want to talk about the storytelling of music and books. Yeah, well, uh, both of those things appealed to me as a kid. And right. so I guess you you kind of take that on board, you know. So I was lucky. My mum had lots of uh, music around the place, everything from uh, Frank Sinatra or Dakota Staten to South Pacific and all that kind of thing. And and even as a kid, I think those old 78s when I was a youngster, that ones that broke and you'd have those the stories, yeah. you know, kids' story tales, yeah, which yeah. generally had music accompanying them. Mm -hmm. So to me, look, it's always been part of my life. I, I read books as a kid. I wanted to write books and then... I think when I was a teenager, I thought, yeah, you, I want to write books, but the reality is you need a lot of life experience to write a book and, you know, you who, don't have it. Who were your inspirations? What were you reading around that time? As an early kid, Biggles was very big. Um, my <laughs> grandparents gave me a collection of Sherlock Holmes stories, which yeah. I loved. Yeah. So it would, it would, you know, when I was 14 or 15, it was just whatever. I, I walked into the library one day and uh, I saw this book, The Maltese Falcon, which I thought was going to be about wow. castles and, and drawbridges, yeah. which I liked, you know, all yeah. the swords and armour. And it turned out to be about fog and, and shots in the dark and mm -hmm. betrayal. And that was really exciting. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So all of those things were exciting. But it, a, it seems to be a, quite a correlation between... Crime writer, crime in particular, crime writers and, and musicians. Peter Doyle, who was an oh, early Sydney crime writer, you know. I love Peter Doyle. Yeah, I and, and, Peter Doyle. He yeah. was in here for a podcast. Recently. Yeah, so he's a, you know, he's another um, musician from around those times. Yes. Um, and he writes primarily books set in Sydney. Yeah. Um, back in the fifties and sixties. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, look, that's how, how it was, and for this particular book, I, I just always I loved. The Summer of Love, 1967. I was a 13-year-old student at a Christian Brothers school in Perth in the most isolated city of the world. And 
the furthest away from San Francisco and Hippiedom and Janis Joplin and and LA and LA, yeah, yeah, and all of those places. And so I guess in a way, this book gave me a vicarious chance to get back there because I take my two Sydney detectives and put them into that world back in 1967. So did you go? Did you visit those cities? I visited I, not not this time. But I you had, know them. Uh, yeah, not, not yeah. intimately, um, right. not as not as well as what you would. So um, Los Angeles, I've been to three or four times. Yeah. Uh, San Francisco, only once or twice. But it was the kind of cradle of all of that. You know, uh, what what I guess exploded into Woodstock in the end. And it, it was great fun doing the research on this because every event that I did is reasonably well chronicled. So if I had Janis Joplin playing with Country Joe and the Fish at the at the original Fillmore on the 14th yeah, of well, May, that, it was there, you know, so I was able yeah, to kind of recreate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, exciting. Yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, all right. I want to talk to um, Karen. So you had... Like, to me, it seems like you're in a very, very corporate world. Like, you know, a lot of people come from, let's say, law into writing. I've spoken to people that have come, you know, been nurses or teachers or whatever. I really haven't met that many people like you who have come from something so structured and so corporate to writing because... I don't know. I mean, I probably think it's left brain, right brain. I don't know. And I don't even know which is which. But is it that you were in that career and that gave you a passion to write? Or is it had you always wanted to write, but you needed to have a career? When I was a lot younger, I was one of those kids that was just good at stuff. You know, I, I was the sort of kid who understood the assignment went and did the assignment, handed it in, and it was done. Oh, I didn't um, like kids like you. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was me. <laughs> and I was good at English. I was good at literature. I was good at maths. I was good at physics. Oh. Um, you know, I, I could do all that. I wasn't particularly brilliant at every, at anything, but I was, I was yeah. competent, you know. Yeah. And I really did enjoy writing, but... As a kid in the 70s in, in Geraldton, which is halfway up the coast of Western Australia, I, what do you do with that? Mm. I, how, do you, how do you be a writer? Mm. What does a writer do? What, how do they live? What does their day look like? I had no idea. Do you know that authors often say that to me, that when they were young, they, it, it's because it's not an occupation. You don't have a look at this university um, courses and think, oh, writer, that's what I want to study. That doesn't happen. No, yeah. no. And, of course, you know, my parents wanted me to get a real job. So of course. <laughs> I went and got a real job and I worked my job and I got married and I had children and occasionally I would scribble bits and pieces. 
But then I would remember that I'd done some scribbling a month later and I would go back and read it and just go, <coughs> that's never going to happen, isn't it? But it's well and truly sailed on that one. And look, I, and I love my corporate life. Um, I've loved every job that I've done, I, even though there wasn't anything in particular that I really wanted to be. But then one day I was made redundant and I was utterly gutted because I loved that job. I was working in aged care. And I went home and had a bit of a sulk and a glass of wine and another glass of wine, another glass of wine. And the next morning when my husband got up and went off to work, I got dressed and I got into my office and I sat down and I started writing. Okay. How many days did you sulk for? Not a day. No, maybe hours. (laughs) Comparing to my life, to her life, you know, because it would have taken me a good three months to get over that. Yeah, see, half of my family is Scottish (laughs) and half is German. I was never, you know, set up to be. Right. So, look, I I worked nine to five, five days a week. But did you know how to write a book? No, I kind of made it up as I went along, just like I understand now that these guys do. Yeah. Um, but I, I learned and and especially learned during the editing process and mm-hmm. started to understand what sort of book I'd written and where that sat genre-wise and what the promise to a reader is with a particular genre mm-hmm. and where I'd made mistakes in that and I needed to correct it and, uh, and was very fortunate to be working with the team at Fremantle Press on that. But, but I just want to backtrack a little bit from that, Karen, because like by the time you handed it to a publisher, it must have been well formed. So I'm going to go back a little bit further. And so, so at what point did you think you had a novel? At what point did you think you had a story that you could actually hand in? Probably not until well after I'd written it. But I kept writing because there's only so many job applications you could submit in a week and I needed to do something and I, I'm just, I'm not made to sit at home. Mm. Uh, and so you're one of those people that's nine to five. Are you in there or do you have a word count or are you just so disciplined that you get at that desk at nine and you finish your I am. I am quite disciplined. But my brain... Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> my brain also turns to mush after right. five o'clock and, you know, then yeah. I'm cooking dinner for my family and I... I my brain turns to mush sleep. after 10, 10 o'clock <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> Not in the evening. Okay, so you finally had a manuscript that you're happy with or a story, if you like, um, that you're happy with. How did you navigate the publishing process? I looked on a few publishers' websites and I followed their instructions for submitting <laughs> manuscripts. Well, I do what I'm told. I mean, I'm that kind yeah. of person. And and I was really lucky. I sent um, I sent my first book to Fremantle Press, I think, in one of the last days before they were accepting mm. um, manuscripts um, that year. And at the end of January, they called me and said, yeah. oh, we'd like to publish your book. How did you know that crime was to your genre? I didn't. Right. I didn't. So I was writing this book. Well, that's one thing and you didn't do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I I was I was really interested in the characters and I was interested in the the environment that they were hanging out in and I just I just got this sense that something bad had happened to them or was going to happen to them and that it was somehow entwined in the small community that they lived in. Uh, so I, I really wrote the book to find out what was going to happen. And I didn't think I'd write crime. If I, I thought if I was going to be a writer, I would be very literary. 
Mm. Oh, crime committee. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm very really serious did. and very important. Yeah. Um, and no, that's not. How it turned no, out. I, it, so I wrote crime, and the three bo- books that I've written have been really different um, crime novels. So one was a, a sort of more small town gothic Australian noir kind of story. The next one was more a cosy crime. This is very much corporate corruption and um, and bureaucracy. So I feel like I'm trying on new clothes, but within the crime genre. Mm. Oh, fantastic. That's a great description, actually. Okay, so over to you, David. Uh, what I want to know is, um, so you had, you did so much living before mm. you started writing or were you writing right throughout? No, I, I um, writing to me became a bit of a life raft. I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to remember a time before the internet was around. So when, when I was just kind of mooching around the world in my downtime, I spent most of my time reading. You know, mm. I was one of those people who travelled with a bag with a couple of pairs of undies and, and ten books in it. Back in the day? Back in the day, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and books were a great lens to make sense of, you know, I'd read a bit of philosophy and I'd read a bit of literature and I'd read a, read a bit of crime fiction and read a bit of poetry. Books were a great lens through which to look at all the So you were a smart criminal? Where, I think so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It was a, a, I'd say so. Not opportunity. Yeah. Smart enough to stop anyway, you know, yeah, when I absolutely. had to. Absolutely. Yeah. So when was it that you kind of decided you had your first book? Yeah, so I started off in a traditional way and it was while I was living overseas. I, was, I started writing short stories mm-hmm. and I was trying to process a lot, of this, a lot of these things I'd seen, some of which weren't very good. And so I started publishing short stories in Australia. Bruce Pascoe in those days and Lynn Harwood were, were, had a, a journal called Australian Short Stories. So I published, mm-hmm. I don't know, about 10, 10 of those. And then when I was up living in Japan, one short story just kept getting longer and that was shortlisted for a Vogel Australian Award. Oh, wow. Fantastic. And then, yeah, then I, then I came back to Australia and started actually because I was, you know, basically a self-taught writer, I started um, going to uni, and then I started a longer story, which became my first novel, mm-hmm. which came out in about 2006. And the crime, the crime um, novels were almost accidental. Again, it was um, I was working in the prison system, and I had another idea for a different story. But I was presented with a uh, a true crime Western Australian story, which couldn't be told in a non-fictional way and fiction seemed to be the best way to tell it. So I did that and I enjoyed it so much and I found so many stories out there. I've just kept writing crime fiction because it's mm. it's a good way to, uh, you know, look at the place I live for anyway. And are you a disciplined writer? Are you a, well, I mean, you know, all writers are disciplined to an extent that they do deliver a book um, at the end, but are you a, like, you know, I'm going to do 2,000 words a day or I'm going to sit at my desk for eight hours or how do you approach your work as a writer? Yeah, it's probably the one thing I am disciplined about. I mean, right. be, because I, I, I kind of have to be. I've got three right. kids at home and uh, wow. I work full time, so... Sometimes I get half an hour and I just go hammer and toss oh, for half so an hour. Oh, so you work and... outside of writing as well? Yeah, full, I've got, I'm oh, a full-time university wow. lecturer, so wow. Wow. reasonably busy. But, but <laughs> I, I can't even so, get my head around yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, I get time to write. So, I, right. and, and sometimes I get, um, you know, whole days and then I really, I treat it like a job basically. 
Hi everyone, thanks for listening to our special crime panel. We finished by taking audience questions, which were more difficult to record. However, you can always join our events, either in person or online. Follow us on Facebook for future event notifications. And if you want more information on Dave Warner, Karen Herbert or David Wish-Wilson, hop onto our site, betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere, everywhere. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.